Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 148. This is Dave. This is Barry. This is Berlin Alexander Platz. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the longest movie ever made. Beautiful. And joining us this week, a blast from the very, very, very far past, uh, Ron from <laughs> was two, like episodes two and three of Screen Geeks Radio. Ron, how you doing, Yay, sir? Yay, Screen good. Geeks historian. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Good to be here. <laughs> Yay. Um, so yes, this week we are revisiting one of those episodes, actually, and uh, this should be an interesting discussion, because we've come a long way in the past, what, five years, four years since we did that episode. We are talking about the uh, long, controversial classic from Disney, Song of the South. But before we get to all that, let's talk about what we've watched over the past week or so. Um, Ron, I didn't tell you that was happening, so don't worry if you don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> Barry, why don't you kick us off? Uh, I finally got around to seeing Skyline. Oh, Skyline is my kind of bad movie. It's uh, it is gloriously bad, gloriously so. And you know what? If I had to choose between watching Battle Los Angeles again or Skyline again, Skyline wins every time. Skyline has terrible performances, terrible dialogue, terrible direction, but the special effects are wonderful, and that's all the movie has to offer. But they're great. Um, I didn't see the second trailer for this movie, so I assumed that it was going to be like the teaser trailer, which is very simple. But there's all sorts of different kinds of alien creatures in this movie. Um, I freaking love this film. It's so terrible. Um, it has one of the nuttiest <laughs> endings I've ever seen. Um, not only is the ending nutting because like the filmmakers assume that audiences are going to be like, oh, yeah, Skyline 2. But the ending is also crazy <laughs> because, for one thing, it's disgusting. It doesn't make a lick of sense, and it's so wild and bold. It's like it's it's the ending deserves an episode all unto itself. So I highly recommend Skyline. Okay, so we need, to do, we need to do a Skyline episode. I think so. I really do. Okay. I mean, honestly, like I'm completely serious about this. Like, Unlike Battle Los Angeles, which loses its momentum like uh, in the third act, and Ethan can back me up on that. I mean, like it becomes a series of, of motivational speeches by Aaron Eckhart. Skyline is strictly a sci-fi B-movie. It knows exactly what it is. It's so, so stupid, but so awesomely fun. So I highly, I highly recommend Skyline if you're up for something that terrible. Um, saw a film called Special with Michael Rappaport. It's a take on the superhero genre where he's a guy who takes a lot of experimental drugs, and you're never sure if he's really a superhero or if he's just thinking he's a superhero. So the, during the course of the movie, he thinks he's flying, or is he? He thinks he can run through walls, or does he? It sounds a lot better than it is, unfortunately. It's one of these movies that it, it doesn't really meet meet its full potential. Rappaport's great, but I, I don't think the movie's all that good. We've had a lot of these films that are starting to, to come down this, is it really happening, or isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, like, even like Super, that's out right now. It's like yeah. the whole notion you've of got like... Super, you've got, um, yeah. what is it, the, the one from Michael Paul Stevenson coming up. Yeah, uh, and and uh, Adam the Amazing Zombie Killer, right? And, and a bunch of these movies. It's it's starting to become an interesting trend. Yeah, it is. It is, and this one doesn't completely work, but uh, it, it's got some good things about it. But I, I can't say I was that crazy about it. I finally got around to, got around to seeing a Love and Other Drugs, the film with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Anne Hathaway. The Anne Hathaway naked movie. Well, everybody's naked in this movie. Oh, I mean, okay. It's just a nude fest. There's there's a great deal of sex and nudity. Um, and for that matter, the first half of the film is very funny, being about the birth of Viagra. It's actually very amusing for about an hour, and then it becomes a disease of the week movie, and all the <laughs> All the jokes stop. All the laughter stops. And you know what? The entertainment stops. This movie doesn't really know what it is, and it has like it's way too many unappealing characters. So it's it's one of these complete failures as a comedy and certainly as a romance. I mean, what a terrible date movie. I mean, you walk away going, I hate my life. I mean, that's that's not what date movies should do. Um, I promise two more. Um, Edmund, the film directed by Stuart Gordon but written by David Mamet. It's with it's got an amazing wow. cast. Yeah, it's uh, let's see, it stars William H Macy. He's a man who basically spends this one night where he goes from being a total bigot to being a serial killer. 
Um, and that's wow. it's not much of a spoiler. It also stars Joe Mantegna, uh, Denise Richards, Mina Savari. Um, I mean, it's an amazing cast, but um, it's a disaster as a film. It's uh, David Mamet trying way too hard to be like Neil Butte. It's a really ugly, hateful story, and they don't really do anything to make it likable at all. Um, it's loaded with with gore. This is, of course, Stuart Gordon, who gave us Reanimator and and From Beyond. Uh, Jeffrey Combs is in this film, by the way. Nice. He's got a really nice little role. Um, it, it's certainly admirable as an actor's piece, but as a script, I don't think it really works. But I, I applaud Stuart Gordon for even trying. And finally, the other night, um, I went with a bunch of friends of mine, uh, particularly Randy and Rachel and my wife Julia, to a Mile High Sci-Fi, where we saw Marked for Death. I've always wanted to see this movie in the big screen, and I gotta say, Steven this is Seagal. the way, Steven Seagal versus a killer Jamaican gang. It's killer Jamaicans, folks. Wow. Jamaican me crazy. And you know, the movie is so stupid that that line never pops up. I, I've waited the whole movie for that, but the line never comes up in the movie. But yeah, this is a, this is when 20th Century Fox was on this total killer Jamaican kick, because like a few months later, Predator 2 came out, where evil nice. Jamaicans had taken over Los Angeles. Yeah, so it's like, you know, this is like, uh, what is it, 1990s, so it's like, you know, I guess like Russians were old hats and like you know Libyans were a little uncomfortable so it's like Jamaicans let's do Jamaicans so it was like this just put dreads on everyone and they're bad guys (laughs) (laughs) yeah dreadful dreadful wow okay Ethan what about you I know it's been a couple weeks yeah I got a lot of stuff I don't know I might cut out a few things though just for time uh i saw ollie fear eats the soul by rainier werner fassbinder wow first of his films i've seen it was a lot different than i expected i didn't think it would be like kind of this homage to melodrama but i i liked it 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 dealt with some uh brave subject matter and i applauded for that uh next i watched jean cocteau's beauty and the beast for the first time it's one of my favorite movies yeah, it was pretty awesome, and I, I sort of love the camp value of actually having like a French actor dressed up as the Beast <laughs> and hearing like French come out of that costume. I thought it was pretty amusing. <laughs> okay. Uh, next, I watched "I Love You, Philip Morris." Ah. Barry, this this was on your uh, top ten of last year, right? I believe it was. Yes. Defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I love this film. I love everything about it. I love the, cha- the the chances it took. I love the performances from the two. I really believe them as a couple, and I thought they were very moving as a couple. I love Jim Carrey's performance. I loved how crazy it was, and I, I love the ending, which I thought was especially bold and shocking. I, I think it's a great movie. So, so uh, Dick Clouds. That's that's funny to you. I don't <laughs> mind. I don't mind phallic clouds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at one right now outside Dave's window, actually. So, yeah, I got no problem with Valley Clouds. That was just my big problem with this movie. It was brutally unfunny to me. Just brutally unfunny. Brutally like, unfunny. I, the only things that made me laugh were a few kind of, of Jim Carrey's Jim Carreyisms. Like, a few of those. I was kind of like, I got a few light chuckles out of, but I thought it wasn't. I think just the problem, like I said, just that the tone of the movie was just bad. Like, because it's such a goofy con- like the story the true story is very interesting i will give it that but just given that goofy tone first off it doesn't work like i said because it's not funny and second it prevents any emotional attachment to anybody in the movie because it's so like ridiculous and such a farce so yeah that movie did not work for me at all uh next i watched the right stuff for the first time which I I liked, but I at over three hours I will say I think was a little long, 
Like, I, I understand it's covering a lot of history and it has a lot of characters, but I think it still could have been about half an hour shorter. But sure, sure. Still, it's pretty good. Um, next, I, I watched this film, 29 Palms by Bruno Dumont. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to be I've condescending here, but I'm going to go ahead and assume no one has heard of this. I've seen 29 Palms. The Bruno Dumont film? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, I've seen Twenty Nine Palms. The one about the the, the couple. <laughs> about the apple. The couple. The couple, right? Yeah, I've seen Twenty Nine Palms, and I, I'm not a fan of this film. It's uh, you know, it's very. I'm sure as you recognize immediately, it's very you know watered over Antonioni. Yeah, but I, I will say the sex scenes in this movie were amazing. <laughs> like it had to be the inspiration from a Gruber. Like just like so much like. Uh, 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 oh. it's like the best sex scene since showgirls i think there's even one in a pool it totally was like an homage you said like antonioni no this is this is an homage to showgirls at least in that one scene gosh <laughs> you and i are totally split in this movie i didn't find it erotic or sexy and i thought the ending no was it's desperate. not erotic yes, no, that's, that's what you're saying it's, 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 sexy. it's like They're the so room hilarious. kind of awesome no, I didn't like oh. this film one bit. But uh, it's so, it is so, uh, I should say the ending of this movie is like so nihilistic, and but great sex scenes. <laughs> I thought it was dreadful. I mean, it seemed like like the ending was like an arrival from the irony police to like actually give us something to, to remember the film by, because otherwise I thought it was such a drag to sit through. Because I thought that Winterbottom's Nine Songs was better at being this kind of movie. Mm. What do you think? This does it? I haven't seen that, okay. but does it? Does it have the great sex scenes? Well, the sex scenes in in uh, Nine Palms are not faked. I'll just put it that way. Mm. All right then. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to get into it more without <laughs> it turning into a very different kind of show. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'll just leave it at that. You, you want to avoid the explicit tag? Because if you do, I can still play that song over the end credits. Then. <laughs> no, no, let's move on. I don't, okay. I, I hate both of these movies. I don't want to talk about these movies. What okay. else you got, Ethan? <laughs> Uh, I watched Glory for the first time. Oh, Edward Zwick. I think I think Edward Zwick may be the most middle brow filmmaker of all time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like it's just like every like every, his all his movies are just exactly the same. They all have like kind of they've got handsome but generic production values, really predictable and and like shallow character arcs, really manipulative. It's they're all like period pieces it's just not a fan of this guy you might like love another drugs for its nudity and sex scenes isn't it also a period piece isn't like set in 1995 or something you know what it is it's set in 1996 you're right ethan (laughs) he can't escape it that's so sad to think about 1996 being period well you know it's got like uh the spin doctors on the soundtrack it's no, like oh man I, this is this is this is old is, is that like the uh the the south park episode where they found a the man encased in ice who was trapped from like 1994 so they had him living in a, in, in a living room playing ace of bass the whole time huh. that would have been a lot more fun actually okay. fair enough anything else ethan uh two last things i i saw this film called the visitor for the first time not the richard jenkins film but uh this horror film from the late 70s and this may be one of the strangest movies i've ever seen dave look it up i don't even want to describe it just 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 like go to imdb and see what it says about it okay hang on i have to get over to it so you'd think i'd have imdb ready i i, I don't have it up on my tablet right now that's why 
Well, as a human IMDb, I must say that I'm not calculating anything. I've not seen this version of a visitor. <laughs> wow. Hang on. It's getting there. 1979. Okay. Visitor 19. Oh, okay. There it is. The soul of a young girl with telekinetic powers becomes the prize in a fight between the forces of God and the devil. Wow. That is the most simplistic explanation of it possible. Uh, Glenn Ford, <laughs> John Huston, Lance Henriksen, Sam Peckinpah, Shelley Winters. Holy crap. I've seen the poster at, at my video store where I used to work as a kid, but yeah, I've not seen that film. So yeah, it involves all of that, a bunch of psychotic birds. Uh, Lance Henriksen plays an owner of a basketball team. And it, okay, this the opening scene in this movie. I'll describe it. It's like this guy who looks kind of like like cross between Thor and Jesus. He's like lecturing all these like bald children, like wearing white suits on this planet, this faraway planet. And I'm like, <laughs> like I can't describe this movie. It is so weird. <laughs> but uh, and it's like it's funny. Just further that there's like all these weird like music decisions in it like it has like such this control of imagery yet everyone saw there'd be like this really goofy 70s song and that to me almost like tipped off the movie was its strangeness almost seemed too deliberate like so i can't i have to i can't like quite recommend this movie but i will recommend it just for how weird it is i can actually so. top you right now ethan because while you were describing that my dog just nuked all of us <laughs> so hearing you describe it with that odor going at the same time was I, I don't think I need to see the movie anymore. I think wow. I'm good. Well, between Ethan's description and the smell of vision over here, I'm I'm very eager to see the visitor. <laughs> All right, anything else, sir? Uh, one last thing. I watched Samuel Fuller's The Naked Kiss for the first time. Uh-huh. It's about uh, this one, the opening scene of the movie. I'll describe it to you. It's a woman beating, hitting the camera with a shoe, and it, it's it's revealed. And later, uh, she's she's a prostitute and she's beating up her pimp. And later, like during the scene, he like pulls off her wig and it's revealed she's bald. It's like such typical like Sam Fuller weirdness. But uh, yeah, it's with this woman. She's a prostitute. She kills her pimp and she tries to kind of segue yourself into society as like this normal woman and she's like a nurse and she like takes care of all these like disabled children and there's like all these uh, there's all this other like weird sample imagery like there's like a baby with a cast and stuff and and like kids and crutches it's like uh it's just great sam fuller i nice. one of my favorite filmmakers so i i wholeheartedly recommend that film all right then. that's all cool ron did you have anything you wanted to bring up at all i saw nothing Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's all good. I've got a bit to, to catch up on. Um, I'll start off very minorly. We watched. We were all caught up on Castle, and they had a very nice moment as a tribute to Stephen uh, Cannell. Um, they're one of the the setups is that there's a writer's poker game, and Nathan Fillion brings this new guy, and he's about to sit in the seat, and they're like, "No, no, that's Cannell's seat," and we always leave the seat for, open for like a year or something like that. It's a very touching, very nice scene. It was a good episode in general, but that was just a very cool little tribute and saying goodbye to the guy. Um, South Park returned on Wednesday with an episode called The Human Sentai Pad. Um, yes, it is what you think. Uh, the idea is to make an iPad that can think by stringing three people together and becoming a thinking iPad. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, Kyle ends up not reading his user agreement with Apple and just agrees to it because no one reads that. 
And they said, well, hey, you said you, you agreed to letting us do this stuff. And he ended up being the middle part of the centipede. <laughs> <laughs> and he, it, the, the whole thing is just serves to be like, hey, you should read your user agreement. That's the entire point of the episode. I don't think it's essential viewing, but it's a heck of a way to kick off the season. There is no. Man, man, I, I can't believe the human centipede is a year old. I remember uh, it coming out like, so, like it was yesterday. Because it'll never escape your nightmares forever. <laughs> Oh, wow, that was an interesting movie, yeah. Um, got caught up on Supernatural and Doctor Who. I'll start up with Doctor Who. It just started up. They had their second season air on Saturday. First of all, it's very nice that the U.S. gets the episodes a day after the U.K., as opposed to, like, waiting a week. Um, this, this ep- the, These two episodes are a, are a colossal series of what-the- moments after what-the- moment. Um our, our 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 great guest who we have an interview with I'll be t- mentioning later Mark Shepard um, he has he's known for playing British characters whether it be in Leverage or Supernatural or Firefly or whatever in this film he plays one of the FBI agents who are working for Richard Nixon and his American accent was great uh, it's a great episode it is I really can't even describe this thing without spoiling probably the entire season story arc but it is outstanding and if you like Doctor Who at all well worth checking out. Supernatural, I'm going to bring up a little bit of news ahead of time. It just got renewed for its seventh season, and I'm a little worried. Um, this season didn't start off the best, but it's really found its stride. It's been great. There was a Western episode that referenced so many great Western things and films and actors and everything. When they worked in the line Candy Graham for Mongo into an episode of a TV show, that made me so very happy. But once again, the, I, I the show had a five year story arc. That five-year story arc is over, so now they're kind of winging it. And they're going interesting places, but I'm very worried that this show's going to kind of flame out. Um, you can only go so far with this show, and I think they need to probably end it pretty soon before it becomes crappy. I'd rather that they end on a high note. I'll just leave it at that. And then finally, um, I have been experimenting with Hulu Plus because you get it for a week with Xbox Live right now. So I'm like, hey, you know, we'll check it out. You know, trying to, we don't have cable. It'd be nice to have some kind of alternative. Uh, we're not keeping Hulu Plus at all. Hmm. The selection is okay, but the odd thing is if you're paying for a subscription, I have a problem with getting commercials while I'm paying for a subscription, yeah, first of all. sure. But not even all of their catalog is viewable through the Xbox or the Roku. Hmm. But if I'm paying for the subscription, I should be able to. No, we don't have the rights. Well, then why are you... Okay, whatever. Um, the other annoying thing is that while you're watching a show, like I popped it, fired up some Criterion stuff, and there was like a 10-second commercial movie kicked in, wasn't anything for the rest of the movie, which was, that's fine by me, frankly. I'm totally cool with that. During some TV shows, though, there'd be a single 30-second commercial. You know what? As opposed to five or six commercials, I'm totally down with that. You know, even at the eight bucks, having the convenience, being able to stream it between the two things, whatever, is kind of cool. When it starts turning into two and three commercials during the break, I'm yeah, done. It's mm-hmm. awful. Not interested. The other thing that was very disappointing was the whole point of the big hubaloo. 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 You can tell how often <laughs> so I say that word. Yeah, we don't use that word. Yeah. Um, about it was about Criterion going to Hulu was the fact that you'd be able to not only stream the movies, but all the special features. And I'm like, that could be worth eight bucks a month by itself. Sure. So I went looking through like six or seven movies, couldn't find a bonus feature to save my life. Wow. So I'm, you know, I get it for a week. I think I can extend it to a second free week and I might just watch the couple shows I want to. But beyond that, I'm just I'm good with Netflix. So that's but pretty much what I watched outside of what I watched yesterday. But we'll get to that shortly. What did come out this week, sir? 
currently the number one movie in America and apparently the world, and one of having one of the biggest openings of the year. In fact, I think it is the biggest opening of the year. If the numbers are, are, are indeed correct, Fast Five, the fifth in the Fast and Furious franchise, of course, stars Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, a lot of cars, and of course, The Rock which is why we want to see it. Um, also opening way at the bottom of the top 10 this week, Disney's Prom, which I could actually weigh in on. Uh, Hoodwink 2, Hood versus Evil, the sequel no one was looking forward to this weekend, is currently in theaters. I didn't even know it was coming out. Yeah, you know, and I got to say, like, I was somebody who, who who gave a mild recommendation to the original. Apparently the sequel's no good. In limited release, you got Takashi Miike's 13 Assassins, critically acclaimed. We get it here in Denver in a few weeks. Uh, Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. Uh, some, some venues got this movie. We got it in like one theater in Denver. Um, this is, of course, the Brandon Routh comic book movie. Apparently, it's not that good. The trailer looks kind looks of fun. Fun, yeah. yeah. But yeah, but it doesn't look particularly good. And then uh, the critically acclaimed 3D film, Werner Herzog's Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Of course, it's critically acclaimed. Of course, it's awesome, even if it's in 3D, because it's Herzog. Herzog recently said, i got to throw this out, he recently said that he wishes all of his movies could be in 3D, especially Bad Lieutenant. Oh my gosh, Bad Lieutenant in 3D would have been amazing. So if he wants to convert that sucker, I will shell out $12 <laughs> to see that in the theater in 3D. You got it. You got it, Werner. <laughs> that would be outstanding seeing, you know, the the, the lizards in 3D. And, yeah, the iguanas yeah. and the, yeah. the break dancing at the end. And Yes. Yes, and you have to have your lucky crack pipe. So right. I, I want to start off. You said uh, Marty actually saw the Herzog film. Yeah, he did. He was really impressed. He went to a, a Q and A uh, with Herzog in tow, and he said it was very good. He said the 3D didn't blow his mind necessarily, but the film itself is so beautiful. It really is like a kind of a counterpart to Encounters at the End of the World and some of the other beautiful, beautiful documentaries he's done. Like the only thing Marty said that he really was disappointed is that Werner Herzog's narration at this point is becoming really kind of cliched, where he's kind of like kind of repeating the same non sequiturs. It's almost coming kind of a a parody of his other narrations which are you know very silky in the way that he pronounces them but like kind of kind of goofy and it's hard to explain i mean this is you know talking about Herzog's narration but anyway apparently the movie's really really good right on cool and did anyone see anything besides prom or fast five i've seen 13 assassins did oh how is it sir i need to hear about this okay i'll, I'll just get this out of the way first this is the first to cash a mia k film i've seen in its entirety because I turned off each of the killer halfway through because it was f- fucking boring. I, don't, I can kind of see that. It was so. It is. I think each of the killer people like when they hear I turn off like oh because it was it was so violent right. It's like no, it was boring. It is one of the most boring things I've ever tried to sit through. So I went into this a little hesitant, but I heard the great reviews. So I was like okay, and I watched it, and I think it. I think it's an awesome movie. Right. Uh, the thing is, it's sort of at the beginning. It's kind of like I was kind of like, yeah, this is decent, and I thought, but the characters aren't really developed. There's not that much to it. But um, the last forty or so minutes of this movie is just like nonstop samurai action. And at this point, I realized the point Takashi Miike was making sounded similar to like uh, Black Hawk Down, how it's all everything is defined through action, and he's like making all his points through these like set pieces. I thought that was awesome, and yeah, I think the movie is totally worth seeing. Right on, I can't wait. So, I, I will see this movie. Yeah, sure. it looks great. Right on. Um, do you want to talk about prom? <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about prom. This is <laughs> it's a nice surprise because I walked in expecting something really, really, really awful. Um, and actually, what Disney has tried to do, here's the thing, okay, the, the, the tone is everything for this movie, and they want to make it a kind of a serious sort of movie. It's, it's, it actually has a very edgy tone. Um, 
on one hand, there is a love story aspect of it that's central to the plot, and it's really predictable, really seen it before, really corny, but all the subplots around it are really solid. Um, in terms of tone, the movie I would compare this to, and most of his, most of you get, most of our listeners are like, oh, who cares? But the movie that I would compare this as a kind of a cousin to is Pretty in Pink. It really does have a bit of an edge. It really does uh, talk to its generation. The problem with the movie, of course, the limitations ultimately is that this is a Disney film. It's PG, and there are... It, it takes place in high school, all-American high school, but there are no talks of sex, drugs, or identity ever. And there's no profanity either. So obviously this is this is not the high school experience I had. Um, and I went to a private Christian school, and my, my high school experience was a lot edgier than the <laughs> yeah, one in prom. Yeah. Um, so like it, it is with it's a mild recommendation because it's much much better than I thought it would be. It's actually very funny at times. There's a great great uh, running gag about this uh, about this clueless senior who goes to terrible awful lengths to try to get a, a prom date, um, and he's one of these socially awkward guys. And the, the the lengths he goes to get a date are really really funny and really like they just total this one disaster after another. And there is a real edginess to it uh, towards the end, especially about how uh, in high school you tend to really hurt one another either. By, by on purpose or by accident with the things that you say to each other. So it's, it's actually a really more thoughtful movie than I was expecting. It's really nice to see a movie about American high school teens. It doesn't have any werewolf vampire rivalry, no musical numbers, and no mad slasher shows up. It was really nice. Was this to from see the that. director of uh, George Lucas and Love? It was. Yeah, and I think that and that that's another thing. It's like it, it really does show that this this really was much much more. It was a lot better, a lot smarter than I was expecting, and I'm kind of amazed it didn't find its audience over the weekend. I'm sure Fast Five was a big part of that, but <laughs> oh, uh, but no, like like compared to like the remake of Prom Night. I mean, like this this is probably one of the best movies about prom ever made because it's not a bunch of kids going, "This is the night that's going to change our lives." It's a movie about a bunch of teenagers that know that that it's going to suck after high school because they have to be adults, they have to grow up, and that prom really is like the last time where they could just be like well whatever you know be very carefree about life but you know mark my words the, the best prom movie ever made is still brian de palma's carry without without question <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> all right fast five. Oh, fast fast five now let me was in okay go ahead <laughs> oh, sorry i want to ask you dave like there's more than five people in the cast right Oh yeah! So it's oh, like it's God, not like yes. Ocean's Thirteen. Like like the the title is strictly just an abbreviation. Yeah, it's, it's not like the there's five movie. fast people. No, okay, no, okay. no. Sad ass. I knew I was in for a special experience when the first thing that came up on the screen after the trailers was over was original film. That was the name of the, the production company that made this movie. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> no, no, you, no. The irony. And so they go back and do a quick flashback because I've only seen Tokyo Drift. I'll be the first to say oh, it. Oh, okay. Um, I might go back and revisit the other ones. We'll see. This movie is something that must be seen on the big screen because the insanity on screen, is it, it's like on par like if Michael Bay had made a Fast and the Furious movie. This turns into a heist film. Mm. It is nuts with the amount of action. Um, the acting, oh, like, like seriously, Dwayne Johnson has more acting chops in his people's eyebrow than the entire cast put together. Um, but he is, oh, just, I, I don't even know where to begin with this. Vin Diesel comes back, and somehow we're supposed to believe that five foot six Vin Diesel with his neck fat roll is supposed to put up a fight against The Rock. I just don't mm-hmm. quite see that happening. But there's no plot really to this movie. They end up breaking Vin Diesel's character. They break Dom out of prison, um, which is the first one of the the. Oh, see, I'm stuttering because of just how mind breaking this movie is. If you have any regard for the laws of physics, don't watch this movie <laughs> because. Uh, Paul Walker takes Dom's charger, flips it, flips a UE, and stops right in front of the prison bus, 
And when the prison bus hits it, it doesn't damage the car at all. Instead, the bus goes into a barrel roll and flips about 15 times while the car is just fine. Mm. Shockingly enough, with no fatalities. Because, you know, they may be crooks, but they're not that kind of crook who's going to go ahead and kill innocent criminals for life. Yeah. yeah. So after they they break him out, everyone goes down to Rio de Janeiro. Because you can tell they're in Rio de Janeiro because they use the dumb crane shot of the Jesus statue about six times during the movie. Um, I am rehashing some stuff. There, there is a podcast out there from Bill Simmons and Adam Carolla talking about Fast Five. That is epic. I would highly recommend watching it. Um, after they get down there, of course when they get down there, they meet up with some dude from the first movie, the guy who picked out Paul Walker as a cop, I guess, um, and said, hey, I've got a job. Because of course there's a job. And they bring Dom down. And the job goes belly up. They end up getting a car that has some kind of special chip to help take down a crime lord or something. And then randomly they bring down every single at character who's still alive from the previous Fast and the Furious movies, including Han from Tokyo Drift. Um, and they decide they're going to do, let's say it together, one last job. Mm. Uh, <laughs> they're going to take... Does, their- does Van ever call one last job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One last job. I mean, it, it, one oh. last job. It is so, like, there are scenes where it's, it's an act-off between who's the worst actor on the screen, between Paul Walker, um, shoot, what's her name? The, the, the Jordana chick, Brewster. Jordana Brewster or the Cars. <laughs> um, it, it's, the one scene where Paul Walker was incredibly convincing was when he looked genuinely confused and was supposed to. <laughs> I say all this to say the action in this movie is balls-out insane and must be seen. Because there is no regard for the laws of physics, you will see car chases like you've never seen before. I never knew that two 2011 Chargers could gra- could drag a multi-ton vault across the streets of Rio de Janeiro, but they made it happen. And when they couldn't get enough, they just used nitrous. Forget the fact that their car couldn't pull anything. They got it going. And this movie is its insane. This movie is absolutely insane. The Rock is the star of this movie. The only reason that he didn't get top billing is because they didn't put him in the movie full, but more. As soon as he's on the screen, he takes command. And seriously, it's like he's being the rock from the WWE. That's the level of acting that this movie really requires. Mm-hmm. But he pulls it off so well. He's such a bad man in this movie. It is uh, was the uh, scent of Axe body spray in the theater too heavy to no. enjoy it? I guess not. Nice. <laughs> Actually, no, but it was a packed screening when I went to the matinee yesterday. Lots of Ed, Ed Hardy sweatshirts, I assume. Yes, there were lots of that, and and oddly enough, old people who were really loving the movie. That was that was the funny thing. There was this older couple sitting next to me that I wanted to tell, you please shut the hell up, because they kept like, "Ooh, that was awesome," and I'm just like, "Wow, are, are you wearing latex or something?" Because I <laughs> I don't get that, but it is a stupid movie. I like to call it retardedly awesome because it you don't see this movie for the plot, you don't see it for the acting outside of Dwayne Johnson. But you see it for the cars, you see it for the racing, you see it for the action. These movies are car porn. I mean, the the, the cars are spectacular in this film. And I know I've dogged on this movie and crapped all over it, but you need to see it. It's outstanding. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to it. Likewise. Yeah, if you see it, see it on the big screen. You just owe it to yourself because, yeah. Well, something's up because, like, this thing is critically acclaimed. 
<laughs> and I don't understand. And even why. Ro- even I'm serious. Like even Roger Ebert, who hated the last one, I liked Fast and Furious, the previous one. But Ebert hated that. But he really likes this new one. The critics are loving it. Audiences digging it. I love that this series is picking up steam five movies in because they the, reinvented themselves. Because Too Fast, Too Furious sucked, mm-hmm. and Tokyo Drift was you've, oh yeah, you can it about it's dreadful. It's a dreadful movie. But like the last one, I thought was really good. And apparently, this new one is like one of the best Hollywood movies of the year. So well, they re- they've successfully reinvent themselves into just. Being about car races into being heist films. This was a heist film more than anything else. But apparently, people like these characters enough that, like, oh, sweet, the whole cast is back. You know, like, who, like, great, we got the whole cast of Tokyo Drift back. But, like, you know, the fans are loving that. You know, it's hmm. fair to say that this movie is definitely a throwback to, like, the Sylvester Stallone action films of the 80s. Like, that level of acting. Well, that's great. Exactly. That, I love which is why movies. people love it. And that's why people love The Expendables, too. Yes. You know, it's like, you know, not only for nostalgic, but, like, you know, what the heck? Let's just do an action movie where, like, blocks of streets just explode for no discernible reason. Oh, they destroy city blocks with that dumb vault. I mean, the way they use that thing as a slingshot around, you'd think they were like you they had like mini Mack trucks or something with the way they were able to fling that thing around. Oh, it's it is truly a spectacular thing and a spectacle to behold. Can't wait to see it. All right, so what's hitting out, the, out on home video this weekend, sir? On home video on DVD and Blu-ray, you've got Michael Michelle, excuse me, Michael Whoa! What a what a freaking Yankee I am, Michelle. Foul. Sorry, Michelle. <laughs> foul, fail. Michelle Gondry's The Green Hornet, uh, one of my favorite early films. In fact, this was the first event film of, of 2011, finally coming out on DVD. Um, the Dilemma, one of the worst, if not the worst, film of Ron Howard's career with Vince Vaughn and Kevin James. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. Listeners, please do, do not. Well, Jennifer Connelly, Winona Ryder. I mean, don't let this cast fool you. This is this is such a terrible film. Um, the controversial, the P. PJ season one. It's interesting that we that we talk about Song of the South and PJ the same episode. This is of course the Eddie Murphy claymation TV show um, that Spike Lee said he thought was tremendously offensive and stereotypical and racist. Um, I know Armin White is a big fan of it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's so coming out. Sense. You know, it's interesting that this is coming out on DVD without much ado. I haven't heard any, you know, anybody complaining because, man, when this thing was on, it was very controversial. So I actually liked it. I liked it too. <laughs> That's the thing. I liked it too, and I thought it was just presenting a really different, different look at the African American urban experience. It was nice to see like like these guys living in these tenements, and there was a there was a camaraderie. Nobody was shooting each other. I mean, it was really a really nice, you know, alternative to all those in the hood movies that were really popular around this time. So mm-hmm. true. But anyway, uh, a somewhat gentleman. Did you see this one? Dave? I did not. I didn't like it. Uh, no? This is what Stallone Sarsgaard, who I think is a magnificent actor, but really, it's such a low-key movie. It's really forgettable. It's about a gangster who basically tries to go straight. Um, you've, you know, it's one of these movies you've you've just you've seen before. Let's see what else. Oh, first time ever on DVD. Used people. This has an incredible cast. It's Shirley MacLaine, Jessica Tandy, and Kathy Bates, Mar- Marcella Mastrioni. Um, yeah, uh, came out in 1992. Very few, few people saw it. First time ever on DVD. On Blu-ray, you've got uh, Vincent Ward's a- um, Oscar-winning "What Dreams May Come," starring Robin Williams and Annabella Sciarra, as well as uh, as as Max von Sydow. Not a fan. Isn't Werner Isn't Werner Herzog in that? Werner Herzog has a has a very haunting scene. I think as playing uh, Robin Williams' father. Yeah. Yeah. Why Why don't you like it? It's the ending. The why? ending. The ending plays like a, a bad Avon Costello routine to me every time for some reason. <laughs> like when Like when I can. I know who you are. I know who you are. Wait. No. I don't. No. I don't. Oh. I know who you are. No. I don't. No. I don't. It, it, it's. It played like a like an Avon <laughs> Costello routine to me. Okay. 
So, yeah. Okay. The visuals well, are amazing. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. I'd be curious how it holds up on Blu-ray, though, because this did come out in 98, and I wonder if those effects still look good with, with the extra clarity. True. So. One way to find out. Yeah. Uh, from Dust Till Dawn, uh, Robert Rodriguez is uh, not Oscar-winning film, but a lot of fun. This is George Clooney, Harvey Keitel, and... Tarantino is one of the most Danny sick, Trejo. disturbing mofos on film. This is, of course, a, Tarantino, a film that Tarantino wrote but did not direct. I like this film. I do. It's, yeah. it's something of a guilty pleasure. Not subtle, but fun. Um, got a, one more uh, late 90s horror film from Dimension, uh, Halloween H2O. Mm. Yep. Mm. I like this one. I really did. I love think me it had... some heart net hair. <laughs> uh, for me, this... Seriously, like his hair, sorry, his hair, like in 1998, that in the faculty was amazing. <laughs> like, seriously, I wish I could have that haircut. I wish I could pull that off. Damn you, heart net. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, also, uh, The Yards, uh, on Blu-ray, The Yards, but I think it's one of the best early Mark Wahlberg performances. This is a film we did with James Gray before they did We Own the Night Together. Also, it's got great performances by Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Charlize Theron. Very good film. Uh, one of the most uneventful films, and Dave and I are kind of amazed this film is still around, Guy and Madeline on a park bench. Is it on Blu-ray? It's on Blu-ray. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, you know, I the musical numbers are worth seeing. I think on, as YouTube clips, those those musical numbers are great. Um, beyond that, I'm all in favor of independent cinema, even little films. I don't care how small they are. But for me, this film is so slight. There's just there's, it is. There's nothing. The there. couple has so little spark that they they couldn't light a bonfire soaked in gasoline with matches sticking out everywhere. Wow. I've heard this movie described as magical. I just I, I just don't get it. I really no. don't. Um, the Man Who Could Cheat Death and The Skull, two Peter Cushing films available on a double feature disc. And finally, one of the best films from one of the greatest filmmakers who ever lived, Igmar Bergman's Smiles of a Summer Night, now available on Blu-ray. That's it's weird. That's essentially a slapstick movie for him. Not only that, it's surprisingly sexy for yes. considering when it came out. It's a very sexy movie. Very true, yes. I, I have one more double feature to come up with. Okay. Because for some reason they had to do it on Blu-ray. We got a double feature of Student Bodies and Jekyll and Hyde together again. <laughs> you know, I own Student Bodies on DVD. I'm proud to own it because it's such a goofy, fun movie. I, I don't know that I need to own it on Blu-ray. No, no. And Jekyll and Hyde together again, I, all I remember is the back of the, the VHX box um, when I was you know working at a video store. We had to put little um, stickers covering it. Because it was a woman whose breastises, to use a scientific term, her breastises grew to such a huge size. Apparently, there's a scene in the movie where the, she gets injected with these hormones and they just grow, grow, grow. Um, but anyway, like, as a little kid, I mean, like, just looking at the back of this, this VHX box was enough to, like, corrupt you forever. So we had to, like, cover it up with stickers. That's all I know about that film. Wow, it starts okay. Mark Blankfield. Okay. And then we have our crap title of the week. Do you have anything else to bring up at all? or No. Okay. Because God forbid we have The Crow on Blu-ray, the Brandon Lee, Alex Proyas, great film. Yeah, great. No, we get stuck with The Crow City of Angels, one of the worst sequels I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It, you know. Isn't uh, Mia Kirshner in that? Mia Kirshner's in it, Iggy, Iggy Pop is in it, um, but that's giving the movie too much credit. Nobody should have made this film. It's it's really, really, really dreadful. Bill Pope shot it. Bill Pope is a great cinematographer. No question. I mean, the movie's got the grunge art direction down, but this is everything about this movie is just crap. Poorly conceived, <laughs> poorly done. 
The soundtrack was kind of good, but that was about it. I was offended that they even made this film because yes. the whole notion of the original Crow coming out, I mean, not to get like overly sentimental here, but it was all about Brandon Lee, about the fact like, let's put this film in theaters, let's let's honor what he did. He gave a real movie star performance, and yeah, the art direction's great, the action's great, but it was his performance that makes that movie great. Uh, yeah. Billy, have you like watched that movie recently, The Crow? I have. Because I've heard a lot of people say his performance is actually, like, moved from nostalgia is actually, like, pretty brutal. No, I completely disagree with that. There's a scene where he's looking through the rings. He's looking for his wife's wedding ring at a pawn shop. And uh, I think his performance in that scene is very wrenching. There's a lot of great stuff. I mean, you know, a lot of the dialogue is very comic book. I'll give it that. Um, but I think he's terrific. Doesn't he, like, do a guitar solo on top of a church or something? That's what I remember. Well, that scene lasts, like, eight seconds. But yes. <laughs> Um, and I think Michael Wincott is a terrific villain in that oh, film, yeah. too. I mean, I you know, I, I really I like the acting in The Crow. I really do. I think the only thing about the movie, honestly, and, and honestly, Ethan, I mean, to, to address that, and you're right. I mean, there, it's not a perfect film. I think the thing about it that honestly does not work, and it, it's so obvious that the studio really played up the little girl. Obviously, that yeah. was there's a lot of stuff in there that they're, they're really trying to soften the movie because it is such a brutal, brutal film. Um, not in the sense that Ethan was saying, but brutal <laughs> talking about the violence. Um, but uh, no, the, the the inclusion of the little girl feels a little too sentimental um, for a movie that really doesn't want to be sentimental at all. Uh, but beyond that, I love. And they're the like uh, rebooting it, right? Like Bradley Cooper. Like can you can't like I can't see That's him right, like wearing that makeup and. No, no that I mean, this, suit. Oh, like you yeah. need the right actor to be able. I guess Brandon Lee deserves points for that. Thank you. <laughs> This, this I like Bradley like, Cooper. This is I like Bradley Cooper too, but this is this is this is like Highlander all over again. They should have they they made one film and and The Crow was a very successful film. They should have walked away. They should have walked away. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on to some news because we are getting a long episode. And we ain't close to getting to the, to, to the topic. So, um, yeah, it was nice doing that half hour long episode last week, last episode, but. They are gone. All right, news-wise. Um, Barry, why don't you go first? Lionsgate is working to release The Cabin in the Woods, according to uh, to AaronTheHead.com, one of my favorite sites. Uh, of course, you all know who this is, folks. This is uh, the Joss Whedon film in 3D. Um, MGM has been going on some hard times, and Lionsgate is swooping in to rescue the film. So hopefully, maybe by the end of the year, we'll see this thing in theaters. I can't wait. I, I've heard great things about it from As people who've seen it. Yes. Yeah. Got anything else? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, well, this is. Um, I'm going to let Ethan do the the, the Schwarzenegger story. Uh, my last story is uh, uh, Toby Hooper, one of my favorite horror movie directors. Even though his his, his later latter filmography is very hit and mostly miss. Um, a movie that I mentioned, I think, in the last podcast, uh, his film The Fun House, which I like a lot. It's it's coming out with a really loaded, packed special edition DVD. Unfortunately, only in the UK. Oh, so maybe we'll get a get a hand me down version of that. But yeah, I was so excited to hear this because I really like the fun house. But uh, yeah, the UK gets to have all the fun, not us. Fair enough. All right, I guess I'll move into my news real quick. First of all, our Starfest interviews are up. Uh, Barry's awesome chat with Jeffrey Combs. I, I really that enjoyed fun. that. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of talking about his actual acting work and being in a one man show about Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. And it's a really interesting interview. And then I got to my interviews up with Mark Shepard, which was a blast to do. Uh, very cool guy. And uh, I think that's, that's the only interviews we got this year, but you can check a lot of other interviews over at geekradiodaily.com or johnja.net or twistedgeeks.com. Um, I'm going to save that one for Ethan as well. Uh, apparently, we might be getting a Winklevice Lone Ranger. <laughs> Isn't Winklevice? Well, no, it's just one. The Winkle, the Winklevice? But it's the same guy. Come on, Army Hammer might be doing a, <laughs> m- m- might be the, the masked man. I don't know how I feel about that. I think he could do it, but 
I don't know if he's quite on par with Johnny Depp to, to really hold the screen. I think the Lone Ranger being rebooted is a bad idea in general. This is just, this is one of those characters. I mean, like, the Green Hornet, okay, fine, if you update him. But, like, whether you update him or not, like, the Lone Ranger, I mean, this is this is old, old, old. There's no audience for this left. I can't see this working. I really can't. Tonto is not going to work no matter what they do. <laughs> That's not going to work. I don't care who they cast. I, I can't see that working. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, and then I've got, you know, I'm going to save that for the end of the actual episode. Uh, I only got a little bit of trailer news. Uh, I saw these both of these in front of Fast Five. Was the uh, final trailer for X-Men First Class Looks and good. the new Transformers Dark of the Moon. Oh, yeah. Dumbass trailer. <laughs> that same old couple, as soon as that trailer was released, like, that looks so good. I was like, oh. Man, old people love their go, Shia. What can you say? What do you want when you go see go see Fast, Fast Five? Five. I, mean, I know. Consider I know. who the audience is. This isn't going to be like it doesn't look anything like Bergman Smiles of a Summer Night. No, this is this is the Fast is Five true. audience. But the X the, the X Men trailer, I'm really starting yeah. to get a lot more faith in. Cool. Um, I'm still nervous that it might suck, but it's it, it's a lot better feelings than after X Men Last Stand and Origins Wolverine. <sighs> yeah. Um, yeah, and that Transformers trailer is just all it was missing was 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 um, Lincoln Park, Megan Fox doing do, doing what, Ethan? Sam, <laughs> and then a phone ring. Yes, totally. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, it just I have no hope for that. So th- therein lies my news, uh, Ethan. Do you want to go ahead and go? Do you want to answer? Uh, do you need to answer? Let's just, let's just wait it. Okay. 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 Cool. Yeah. <laughs> So fast five, you, you know, you had. You okay, had I think we're good to go. We're good to go. Oh, that just didn't insult me. <laughs> okay, I think we can do it. Uh, well, you, Barry mentioned Schwarzenegger. Apparently, a pitch for Terminator Five is being shopped around Hollywood uh, with him and Justin Lin, director of uh, some movie we've been talking about. I think. Yeah, yeah. It can't be any worse than the Governor. Mm. Have you seen that trailer? I've not seen the trailer. I've seen the the pictures that he and Stan Lee have concocted, and um, it doesn't look good. Well, Schwarzenegger's also. I mean, to jump on what Ethan's talking about, he's also talking about doing a movie called Cry Macho, which would be a real different change of pace for him. It's more of a, although it's kind of like a change of pace for him. The way Legendary was a change of pace for John Cena, so it's like it's it's different, but it's not like you know Oscar. But you know it, that was the one thing that was missing to make Fast Five the greatest film ever. Was John, John Cena? Cena? I would have, yeah. Yeah, they need to load up the WWF actors. Anyway, this is Ethan's time. Yeah, sorry, Ethan. Uh, Terminator 5? Not interested, gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with, with old shriveled Arnie? Well, I, I, I'm assuming, I don't know, this is just an assumption, but I have a feeling it wouldn't be like a like Terminator's saliva, but it would be more just like another kind of... He has to protect someone from a bad Terminator kind of thing. That's kind of my impression. If Cameron wants to come back, I would be interested to see what he has to bring to the table twenty years later. I really would. But uh, I don't know. Seeing the, yeah. the the insane action that Justin Lin can come up come up with, that could be a fun movie. I'm one of the people who actually like Terminator Salvation, yeah. but I'll be the mit- I'll be the first to admit that story doesn't need to continue. I mean, you know, no. it, they really do need to come up with something new, and maybe maybe this is what they need, or maybe this is. This is, you know, kind of the fifth sequel thing we're fearing. <sighs> okay, what else you got, sir? The trailer for Tarsum Singh's Immortals came out. Guys, see this? I've not seen it yet. How's it look? 
typical Tarsum bullshit. It's just like slow motion <laughs> red capes in a desert. It's like, oh, it's just... I see seriously no difference between him and Zack Snyder. I was just going to ask you that. Oh, man, no. no. The only difference between them is that I'm sure Tarsum has seen more Tarkovsky movies and knows more art movements and whatnot. But boils down to just cliche visuals of slow motion capes it's like it's the most it is truly dreadful like just what see what barry if you see the trailer i bet you'll agree with me too seriously i probably will and, I, and I, i'm i'm so on the fence about this gag is because as you know like i hated the cell but i loved the fall and i know that sounds like such a contradiction but i really feel the fall did have all this emotion and all this worthwhile aspects to it whereas i thought the cell was just bad but but yeah yeah I'll, I'll I'll watch the trailer. I swear. I've been avoiding it just because I was afraid it was going to be like what you're saying. Anyway, uh, in better news, at least Gary Busey is going to be in uh, Piranha 3DD. That's like the best <laughs> casting decision they could have possibly made. I mean, should we start calling it its official title? Isn't it Three Double D? Three Double D. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. Let's 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 just go all frat boy and just like just <laughs> they call are. It, Come on. Let's call it what it is. Uh, well, the thing is, I, I loved the first Piranha, and I wasn't looking forward to this because, you know, uh, it didn't have the same cast. Alexander Aja wasn't directing it, but this is totally, like, I'm back in the saddle. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the Joe, I haven't watched the Joe Dante film yet, and I have it. I need to watch that this week. It's a little different than the remake. I haven't even it's, watched the remake it's yet. It's very so I'm gonna... subtle compared to the remake. <laughs> very uh, subtle. Okay. What else you got, Ethan? Uh, Justin Bieber and Mark Wahlberg will co-star in a gritty basketball drama. Oh. Sounds like an Onion article. <laughs> <does>. Yeah. <laughs> a gritty basketball drama. I didn't know they could. Okay. If it's like Mark Wahlberg and like Christian Bale again, sure. But like Bieber, Bieber, <laughs> even to say his name, Bieber. <laughs> I just don't see it working. I know no. no. Okay. I, I heard he was good at the uh, NBA, like celebrity game or whatever it was. That he was well behaved. <laughs> no, he, no he, played he was a good. Game. He was a good he player. Like, a he, game. He, yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah, he, he got it. he got game. No. <laughs> no, that's that's ten years old. Isn't it like he got hops. Like we live in Colorado Springs. We're not up on all the new jargon, man. We we gotta wow. We gotta wow. catch what, it. Ron's dying over here. Still, uh, <laughs> what's that? Wait. White men can't jump. Is that still? Uh, I think in it's two nineteen ninety two. Yeah, you know, but it's we're, still true. Yeah, but it's far away enough that it's like kind of cool again. <laughs> kind of like popped colors from the eighties. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And freaking when you see uh, freaking neon markers being called retro, I, I'm like, dude, no. I saw Mork suspenders the other day. Someone wearing Mork suspenders. You know. Oh, the rainbow. Yeah. The rainbow suspenders. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like they're cool again. When did that happen? I don't know. Kind of like the kids at the 7-Eleven I was telling you about. Or he's wearing the Olivia, Olivia Newton-John quarter-inch headband in his hair. And it was a guy. Yeah. His? Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. I I had to stand about 15 feet away, otherwise I was going to say something. So, yeah. what, what about Trapper Keepers? What, when's the last <laughs> time someone had one of those? Those were cool. Okay, no. Nah. Julie was asking me if I owned a fanny pack in the 90s, and I said, you know, not only did I own a fanny pack, but I did, like, have it in the front when I when I wore it, and it was yellow. Oh, it was, like, big bird yellow. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Dude. Everyone, Barry, there's no shame. Everyone had a fanny pack. It's, Mine was aqua. <laughs> Aquaman or aqua? Like aqua green. Oh, okay, yeah. oh. okay. Because it would have been cool if it had aquaman, like, swimming across it. <laughs> 
Hang on. I no, think no, I had asthma be, as a that, child, that... and I'd like I'd put my uh, puffer in it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it made me like extra dorky. Yeah, that it, it wouldn't hurt that. I think yeah. every generation is okay. A victim we, we've of sidetracked. Let's move on. <laughs> you got anything else, Ethan? Yeah, uh, Steven Soderbergh has planned out his three final films. Uh, the first will be uh, a male stripper film with Channing Tatum. Oh. The second will be an adaptation of The Man from Uncle, the TV show. And his final film will be Liberace. Oh. <laughs> Liberace is the one I want to see. I really do. I want to see Michael You don't want Douglas. to see the Channing Tatum movie? I want to see Michael Douglas as Liberace. Um, with all due respect to, to Mr. Soderbergh, I mean, like, I, I gotta, I'll believe it when I see it that, that Channing Tatum can act. I really don't like him at all. And man, man, never back down. No, man from Uncle. That was a that was a cool TV show. I mean, I guess I could see that being done, but wow, that sounds like kind of like kind of dipping his foot in the whole you know oceans well, oceans pond. Well, again. Do you think he's seriously going to retire though? No, because because I mean, it was originally Liberace was supposed to be his last movie, and then Man from Uncle was going to be his last movie. Now they just announced this Channing Tatum movie. So no, I don't think so. I think he's still got. I think the wheels are still turning for him. We'll see. All right. Maybe I'll start playing baseball, and then I'll come back to filmmaking. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> wow, for one season, and then, ah, forget that. All right, that's all you got, sir? Oh, one last thing. Okay. Tarantino's new movie. Yes. Uh, What's the title, sir? Django Unchained. Who knows if it's going to have anything actually to do with the Franco Nero flick, but... All I, all I know is that Tarantino is doing another movie, so that makes me happy. Yes. It's not, you know, I can't say it was what I expected, but, you know, who, who can say about anything that the, the man does? He, yeah. He marches to his own beat. I'm really hoping this does well. I mean, I, everyone, I'll, I'll just say it since everyone's thinking it, I'm wondering how it's going to be without Sally, Sally Mankey. That should be. Yeah, no kidding. Interesting. Yeah, they were but chief collaborators the right there. Yeah. Totally, totally. Okay, well, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we can come, then we will come back and uh, do our, our re- re- redo of the discussion of Song of the South. Uh, but first, we got a message from our good buddy Christopher. Take it away, sir. Thanks, Dave. Great show at Jonja.net, That's J-O-N-J-A. We have everything to satisfy your sci-fi fan needs. If you look at this chart comparing, what do you mean? There's no video. They're screen geeks. They don't have a screen. Well, how am I supposed to... I hired a Cylon to tell everyone about the discussions of sci-fi television and movies past and present. I guess I won't be needing you. You can leave. I recommend. I mean, come on. I had Nichelle Nichols beam in to talk about our long list of exclusive interviews, including Zachary Quinto, Amanda Tapping, and the crew of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Hailing frequencies are always open at JeanJ.net. Never mind, Miss Nichols. Thanks for coming in. I don't believe this. Oh, great. Now here comes my special guest to tell people about Johnza.net's Flash Arcade. Forget it, man. They can't even see you. Oh, well. Maybe everyone will find their way over to Johnza.net to see and hear everything for themselves. Thanks for watch- listening. Now back to Screen Geeks. That's a major accomplishment for after 35 years of <laughs> being a failed filmmaker. Lloyd Kaufman gets to be on ScreenGeeks.com. <laughs> Well, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> we're back, and we're going to talk about really still one of the most controversial films ever made. Um, now, I appreciate you bringing this back up again, Dave, because, yeah, we, we did do that. And I wasn't even there for that episode. No, no, this was before, yeah, yeah. before, I, asked, is, before I was like, like, would you like to do a podcast? Like, what, 2006, right? Something like that, yeah. Way, way back. Five yeah. years ago? Wow. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so You're so old. Yeah. Uh, how to begin? Um, it's based on the uh, the book Uncle Remus, the Tales of Uncle Remus by Joel Chandler Harris, which came out in 1850. Um, I want to get this out of the way really quickly because um, this does bear on the way that we'll be talking about the film, the way we look at the film. The animated sequences in this Disney film are meant to reflect the book, and the stories in the book are meant to reflect the story of a runaway slave and the experiences that he has on the road. Br'er Rabbit is a runaway slave. Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear are two white rednecks who screw with him, and Br'er Rabbit is smart enough and intuitive enough and you know very much like Bugs Bunny is able to you know talk his way out of any situation. Um, this is not an entirely animated movie though, and that's the problem with the film, of course. Um, let's see. Let me. I have the exact number here. Uh, it uh, 25 minutes of the film are animated. 94 minutes of the film are you know it's a 94 minute movie, and most of it is live action. It's about a little boy. Um, let's see. He stays at a mansion, and it's on a former slave plantation. The movie does not make it clear. This is during never, the Reconstruction. Reconstruction, yeah. So it does not make it clear, though, that it that, that it takes place during Reconstruction. They really should have made it a lot more clear. But well, it, didn't they, they throw the year up there? They throw the year, but like people, even to this day, most people are under the assumption this movie takes place during the Civil War era or something. But no, um, at this point, this is where you know African Americans can pretty much do whatever they wanted. They could they could stay where they were living, or they could roam the country free. Um, the way this Disneyized version of history takes place is the little boys living at this mansion and there's all sorts of former slaves who are still living on the property including Uncle Remus including the housekeepers and it's a very copacetic very friendly very endearing relationship um, which is you know, to use both a pun and a very accurate term, it's a very whitewashed depiction of history. Um, they're walking around, they're singing, they're all smiling incessantly, they're all very happy. Um, this film immediately, when it came out, uh, 1946, it was accused of instilling like, you know, like like uh, minstrel show, uh, minstrel show um, stereotypes and Aunt Jemima cliches. Probably the biggest error, uh, the biggest error of this film is that Disney had the tenacity to re-release this film during the civil rights movement. So in a time of figures like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Medgar Evers and Malcolm X, along comes Uncle Remus. Um, so really, That's a bad thing? Really, really terrible, terrible, terrible decision on Disney's part. And one of the reasons that to this day the NAACP has vowed, um, not officially, but they've 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 said on many occasions that uh, that if this film is ever re-released, they will make a stink about it and they will try to boycott the film. Um, and yet, despite all its and forgive me, I'm just like rambling as usual. I'll just end it by saying this: despite and kind of both to play devil's advocate and to give the movie something of a break, despite the fact that this film does have a lot of stereotypes that I'm certainly not comfortable with. Um, I've never found it especially offensive. I don't think it deserves to be unreleased forever. And I always give this movie a, a major, major break in that this is a film that came out at a time when the thought of interracial relationships in movies was unheard of. And the fact that at the core of it, you've got a relationship between a small white boy and, and an older black man. And it's a very tender relationship. And this is before, you know, I mean, now everybody's going pedophile, pedophile, all, you know, because that's, because that, that is, that is, yeah, you know, the, the general, that's the generation we live in. But this is at a time where America was a lot more innocent, certainly. And, you know, the, the fact that, uh, you know, you have movies about like, you know, old, you know, older guys and like young men and, you know, like a kind of a, you know, a, a mentorship. A, exactly. Mentorship, a father, son. Uh, uh, but this is between. The back you know, when it was cool to be in Nambla. 
Federal. Oh, uh, dude. I'm so glad you said that name on this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, Ethan. thanks, thanks. But yeah. uh, anyway, no, like I, I, I do love that about uh, about the Song of the South because the relationship between Little Johnny and Uncle Remus is is genuine and it's unique in that it is a genuine interracial friendship, which is something you never see, especially in a Disney film. That took a lot of balls, even for all the 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 things about this movie that I'm that that are totally wrong headed. The movie does have that. So Ethan, this was this was your first time seeing it, right? Yes. <laughs> and yeah, and what did I think? Yes, what did you think, sir? Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty racist. <laughs> I don't think there's any beating around the bush there. But as Barry was saying, I I think it's more racist in that it's it's a it's a product of its time, and you just sort of you sort of have to forgive that a bit about it. Like it's like. It's not like a racist grandpa you have. You're just like, well, he's from a different time, and he's never going to not be racist. So it's terrible, but we'll kind of put up with it. Whereas something you know, like Transformers 2, with the uh, wonderful m- skid flap and muds, or whatever the heck they were called, uh, that won over audiences everywhere in 2009, where we have a black president. It's a little like, oh my god. But... Uh, yeah, this movie is just simply a product of its time, and I don't know. I found a lot of the uh, animated sequences between the the Brer Rabbit and Brer Bear, whatever. They didn't they remind you kind of the, of that uh, I'm the Juggernaut bitch video. I don't know if I've seen that video. Really took video Dave, clips of the X, of the X Men animated series, and every time the Juggernaut showed up, he would say that. No, no. I've yeah, it just the voices in that remind me a lot of it, and. Uh, and isn't I was I guess I should mention Splash Mountain at Disney World. We're gonna Doesn't get there. Have, we're gonna we're gonna get there. We're yeah. gonna get there. But no, it's still there. No, you're right, Ethan. It's still there. Yes. So okay. Ron, you are our guest. Hey, you haven't talked much. You are still here, right, sir? I am still here. Right on. So okay, this is your second or third time watching the film through. Um has your opinion changed at all since you watched it five years ago? It no, it hasn't changed. I like it. Um I mean, if you read too much into it, it's gonna it's gonna look and sound racist. But like like Ethan said, it's a product of its time, and you just you know got to look at it as that, and and look at the above that. Look at the good messages that are relevant to today. You know, don't run away from your problems. Don't bite off more than you can chew, and and essentially don't make fast judgments on on people whether they're white black purple green whatever so it's kind of getting to that that, that traditional disney you know the, the the lesson at the end of the film exactly that's pretty much yeah. a, a recurrent theme for a lot of the films um man okay do we, well, how I, do you feel about it dave i don't have much problem with it i honestly don't think it's that great a film uh, I, I i'm kind of in the same boat as you barry where the animated sequences are great they are magical mm-hmm. and there is a lot to be gleaned and taken from the uncle remus stuff I don't find it particularly super duper over the top racist. I, th- I th- like you said, the fact that they had this young boy being being brought up and really raised in the ways of life by by this wizened black man is a wonderful thing in any time frame, no matter what. Right. And that was that was a, that was incredibly ballsy to do at that time because I mean you you don't know when someone's going to come by. Whoop! I'm going to have my white boy, you know, and we'll just leave that the rest of that conversation to itself. Right. 
And you can still have that today, even. I mean, I think you could have racial tensions between this film, even if it was made today. Mm-hmm. There's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a way to do this today where it would have been edgier. You would have had the N-word, and you'd, you know, it would have been a much different and certainly much uglier movie. Um, I think there's no doubt that the film definitely um, puts on some rose-colored glasses as, as to the tr- treatment and how African Americans were, were living after the Reconstruction started. Yes, yes. things were better, they weren't good. No, right. no, and that whole yeah. You know, I mean, you know, Spike Lee to, to 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 name one of my favorite filmmakers. Spike Lee, his production company is called uh, Four Acres and a Mule. Um, that's what African Americans were promised after Civil War, and strangely enough, they never got that. But mm. uh, yeah, it was one of the many incidents. And I want to throw this out really quick too. Um, you know, did to, to, you know while I defend this movie, and I do like it. I watch it probably twice a year with with my film class. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's worthy of note that the first African American who ever won the Academy Awards in this film, Hattie McDaniel, she plays the maid, of course, who play who sings the cooking song in the kitchen. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Hattie McDaniel, she I always loved this in her biography. She says, "You know what? Better to play a maid than to be a maid." That was always her attitude, which I thought was really interesting. Like an interesting way to look at it, because this is her stock role. This is what she always plays. She always played like the role she played in, in Gone with the Wind. And by the way, Gone with the Wind, a movie I find a lot more racist than this one. I really do. Yeah. Um, I don't like. I'm not a huge fan Gone with the Wind but anyway um, to not completely cut this movie a break I mean yeah the, the, the Aunt Jemima stereotypes are completely there and why those characters why the African American characters are always smiling incessantly in every scene you know is uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay I think because they had to in front of in front of their yeah well sure for their former masters right 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 <laughs> fair enough okay let's talk about the film's lack of release. Um, there has been a Japanese laser disc out that I'll say it. I have a bootleg of Song of the South. If Disney ever releases it, I'll be the first in line to buy it. Yeah, me too. Um, just because it's such an important film in our history, I think. I, right. I like I said, I don't think it's the greatest film ever. Do you guys think that it's justified that the film hasn't had a release? No, we have freaking Hitler propaganda films. We got the Lenny Riefenstahl films, which show Jews, and then they show like you know interspersed with rats. Um, I think those films are disgusting and should be destroyed. But that's just my opinion. Um, even even in terms of film history, I think those films are disgusting. Um, but those films are widely available. Um, Transformers Two, widely available. I uh, <laughs> I have no problem with that movie being destroyed. And I'm someone who loves art and loves film. But I I you know there's well, that's, some... that film that that movie's neither though. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, this is this is a hard one for me because, like, you know, I, there there are so few films that I think are so foul that they should never be seen, never be released. Because I do believe in you know freedom of speech. That's one of the things I love about this country, and especially, but especially with this film, I really feel like if we had Leonard Maltin do an introductory mm-hmm. intro, introductory reel, I've told you this many times. Like, if it just comes out with him talking about the problems, just call it the problems with the song of the South, and mm-hmm. then the movie begins. Well, I, that's exactly know. what they did with the on the front lines. Um, Disney Treasures. He came out and said, "Look, there's a lot of stereotypes in this film that are not appropriate. We do not condone them, but they are an important part of our history to learn from." You know, when you have the the, the stereotypical Japanese Chinese jokes, you know, in in being made by Donald Duck of all things. If we could release Soul Plane in 2005, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, come on. Yeah, you know, they did the same thing with. Uh, I actually brought it. It's a two disc DVD of uh, Tom and Jerry. The classic cartoon spotlight have, collection, yeah, yeah. They have uh, Whoopi Goldberg at the beginning explaining that very same thing, like, okay, this is a product of the time with Mammy Two Shoes, and 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 saying, okay, it's wrong then and it's wrong now. Oh yeah, I remember part when, of it was a part of history depicting yeah. uh, what was going on. Oh yeah, I mean when you've had Jerry and you've had Bugs Bunny doing blackface routines, mm-hmm. 
I mean, come on. Well, the other one I show in my film class, Birth of a Nation, you know, that's a movie that I, I think is very disgusting and ugly, but, you know, even, even to, to like like the Lenny Riefenstahl Hitler movies, I mean, there is cinema there, there is quality there, there is great filmmaking there, even if the, even if the you know, even if the subject matter is racist and, and, and bigoted. So how does your class respond to Song of the South as it's a whole? Very mixed. Very yeah. mixed. It's kind of like this. Are they like, you know. are they like boring? Is that like how they respond? No, I get, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, honestly, it's uh, it, they're very savvy film students and most of them are really excited because it's like the one Disney film they'd always heard of and that they'd never seen. Most of them have seen snippets of the movie either online or attached to different Disney specials. So it's always weird for them to see it and realize, oh, it's a live action film. They, a lot of them don't even realize that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I mean, I had one student who wrote about like you know like this is a movie that the KKK would love. I remember I still have that paper, mm. um, but I also have students go, "Thank you, I'm so glad we got the chance to see this." And uh, even though I don't agree with the film, I think it should be seen. I think there's and then I have I have students who go like, "Wow, that's one of the best Disney films I've ever seen. I love this movie. I wish I could own it." Yeah. Um, so it's all it's all across the board. I think we just call it for what it is. It's Disney, like you were saying earlier, Disney fearing the NAACP taking them to court. Yeah. What do you think about the the whole should it be seen thing, Ethan? Well, I think they should have remade it in the '80s with Prince as Uncle Remus, <laughs> <laughs> and doing the soundtrack, right? Wow! Yeah. Wow. Takes little Johnny out. Takes little Johnny out to Graffiti Bridge, and this is as long as he doesn't take him under the cherry moon. It's all good. Oh man! And then then that's where the Nambla jokes come kick in. All right. Then Morris Day can voice all the animals. Cherry on cherry on top. I'm liking that version of the movie. One of my my good friends, the DeWalts, who live in Denver, I don't they wouldn't mind me name calling him on this episode. They they have a beautiful African American daughter, and they've shown her Song of the South. But interestingly enough, they also have a DVD, an animated film called The Adventures of Br'er Rabbit, and it's like a politically correct animated movie that was made, I think, in the mid '90s, with like Danny Glover and a bunch of famous African American performers, and it's kind of like 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 a more PC, more more appropriate and more like knowing version of of this without all the live action stuff, which I thought was really interesting. Huh. Anyway. Okay. Well, sh- shall we move on to the hypocrisy of Disney? <laughs> the hypocrisy of Disney. I like Disney, and I think for the Absolutely. most part their films are pretty pretty stellar. But this is this is an odd one because I mean, as as Ethan pointed out, and certainly as you're insinuating, <laughs> I mean, like you know. Yes, Splash Mountain still exists. Splash Mountain is the Song of the South ride. And even though Disney has, this is their quote, I always tell my students this, they've officially retired the film, always in quotations. They've officially retired the movie. Um, you know, you can get uh, Br'er Rabbit uh, stuffed animals and stuff at Disney World. T-shirts, it's Disneyland a, and Disney World. And you know, and I should point out, by the way, this is an Oscar-winning movie. Um, Zippity Doodah won the Academy Award for Best Song, and James mm-hmm. Baskett, who played Uncle Remus, won a special Academy Award for his work, not only because he played Uncle Remus, but he plays almost all of the animated characters too in voice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, so this is like That's, this is an award-winning movie. This isn't like you know this ugly you know thing they're putting under the show. This isn't like Beverly Hills Chihuahua. I mean, this is like this is a stellar award-winning you know high-profile movie. It's one of the first films ever to combine live-action animation. The first one was Three Caballeros, which came out I think like like the year before. Mm-hmm. But this really pushed that. Or you know, Saludos Amigos. 
Yes, so there's a thank you. Yeah, well, and there's then, both versions. Of it, yeah, so yeah, yeah. And well, you know, like this, like the the technology in this movie, you know, the, the breakthroughs at the time led to Mary Poppins and, of course, to the brilliant Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But even now, like you look at the movie, the scene where Uncle Remus is smoking a pipe with that little frog on the side of the pond. I mean, that's like that was really radical stuff for its time. Mm-hmm. Totally. Absolutely. So, uh, I'm looking something up here real quick. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, yeah, we're going to pause it here real quick, and I'll be right back. Okay, sorry about that, folks. Um, I, this is a very important quote just because it's pertinent to our discussion. Um, in March, they had the Disney shareholders meeting, and someone brought up, actually someone who posts over at DVD Talk, uh, asked Bob Iger outright, why can't you bring this movie out? Uh, let's see here now. He said, his response was that it wouldn't be right, quote-unquote, to use studio resources to release the film. But you're fine using studio resources to make money off the ride. Hello. You know, I've, I, there's some choices that, that, that the Pixar team is making that make me have less and less faith in them. Well, it sounds like a very political thing to say. But it's such politically. a BS answer. Well, like, mm. remember early on this show, Dave, like years and years ago, I think when Josh was still with us, I remember you saying that there was a point where this movie might have been like a special feature on a DVD, right? On a, like, well, they were, talking about doing, they were talking about doing a special release. Uh, everyone's thought that, well, the Disney Treasures line is now dead, apparently. But that would have been the perfect way to release it. That way, the aficionados who really want the film can pick it up, and they can do the limited release run of them of a hundred thousand or whatever. Sure. And that's the, also where Leonard Maltin happens to do an introduction on every single one of the Disney treasures. So, like on the front, the, on the Disney on the front lines one, he brought up how, just how inappropriate some of the things were. So it was the perfect way to do it. And the general train of thought um, is that since Roy Disney passed, we're never going to see Song of the South. He was a big proponent of getting the film out because he felt that it should be seen. Mm-hmm. And with him passing, they're saying that the chances are not looking good of it ever happening. Hmm. So our crappy bootlegs with the Japanese subtitles during the songs might be our <laughs> only way to own it. Yeah. Doggone it. <laughs> I have in front of me, the uh, I brought this with me, the, the animated movie guide, a great book about every animated movie ever made. This is an incredible book. And they mentioned uh, among the... Um, among those who came under, uh, who Song of the South came under attack, the NAACP, Ebony Magazine, the National Negro, Negro Congress, and black leaders such as Adam Clayton Powell Jr., um, all of which say that they want to make sure that this film is never re-released. And what's very interesting is there was, I think back in the 90s, they talked to some one of the head of the NAACP at the time and asked him about it. He's like, oh, no, no, we can't have that movie out. We can't have that movie out. Well, have you seen it? Well, no, but it's bad, and I know it's bad. And wow. it's like... That's as bad as when the Christians are like, don't go see Last Temptation of Christ because it's bad. I, I wrote a, you know this, I talked about it on the show, I wrote a paper recently about minstrel shows and how minstrel show aspects have continued in movies. I mean, just doing that research. And like, and let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's talk about Bagger Vance, okay, which is, <laughs> which is Will Smith as Uncle Remus. You know, and nobody complained about that movie. No. Nobody is trying to boycott C. Thomas Howell and Soul Man. No one's trying to, you know, boycott uh, frickin' Soul Plane or, or, uh, or Marcy X. I mean, there's some, there's some really, really blatantly racist movies that have come out in the last few years and no one's trying no one's trying to you know call those movies retired i wish we i yeah. wish we would, would retire soul plane well do none of those groups go after south park or family guy yeah or? yeah stuff that's and i guess because it's protected under satire you know because it's protected because it's it's humor oh, like and it's the, commentary when they went to the 50s diner and the cops hosed out cleveland oh like right. the old days <laughs> 
it's fun. It, it is interesting, isn't it? Though, like, I mean, like, you know, one thing I went after in my paper, and I know you guys probably completely disagree with me over this, but I've never liked Tropic Thunder. I've never thought that was really. Like, I don't like Tropic Thunder. I don't like that. Um, but like, you know, nobody complained about that, especially when they saw the movie, because they said, well, you know, it's it's satire. What you know, what Downey Jr. is doing is a is a character, and it's a character commenting on this. It's not you know simply a guy in blackface. It's commenting on blackface, so it's okay. Um, because you never go full retard. And, you know, well, and obviously you guys like that. And that's okay. I mean, it was a popular movie. I don't like it. But, like, I mean, isn't it interesting that even now, like, mm-hmm. you know, South Park can say whatever the heck it wants. Like, oh, it's okay. It's outrageous, disgusting, offensive. But it's it's freedom of speech. It's well, you know, pushing the envelope of humor. Harley Hill. Was there ever controversy over uh, Superman 3 when it came out? No. No. <laughs> well, the, the biggest thing that you brought up, Tropic Thunder, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. was nominated for a Golden Globe. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but no, we can't have Song of the South. No. God forbid. The more you talk about, the more ludicrous the argument becomes. It it just seems like they're building this movie up to be like, you know, uh, like Uncle Remus, you know, running next to burning crosses and singing. I mean, like, I guess I'm assuming the people that are are still worked up about this movie probably have not seen it because it really is. It's yes, it's wrong headed, but it's kind of harmless. It really, especially compared to today. It's the lighter side of racism. Uh, And and like, it's the reason why I haven't been uh, speaking much so far on this topic is to be honest, I didn't really pay full attention to the movie when I watched it just because honestly only the animated segments interested me. So it's just a sign that it's, it's, yeah, it's really not that horrifying. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up because the first time I saw this movie was the last time it was in theaters, which was the summer of 86. I actually saw it. And by the way, if you go online, you look at the poster when it was released, it's funny. Like only the animated characters. Uncle Remus is nowhere to be found on the poster. But anyway, uh, I remember seeing the theaters and same same thing with you, Ethan. Like I remember like completely glossing over. I was what, eight, nine years old, completely glossing over the live action stuff. Love the animated, animated sequences. Um, but looking at it now, I, I and having seen the film so many times, I, I really, I really do appreciate this film more and more. But, but I, I certainly have my problems with it. Fair enough. So, okay. So, I, I guess we're still at the same point last time. Yeah, let's bring it out. <laughs> no, I appreciate you bringing it up because it's, it's important. And you know, I think, yeah, I mean, this is in terms of like lost films go. I mean, this is this is one of the big ones. You know, in terms of more, they're spending more time and energy not releasing it than. Than just releasing it and dealing with the aftermath afterwards. Yeah. Well, uh, who's CEO of Disney right now, or president, or whatever? Bob Iger. Oh, Bob Iger. Bob Iger, if you're listening to this and you heard my remake idea, go ahead and use it. <laughs> <laughs> well, in 2046, you know, if humankind is still around, no, I mean this movie becomes public domain. It'll be 100 years. So, I mean, oh, Disney, no they got to do something. Otherwise, it's going to be free, free reign. You know, nice. so in our lifetime we might see it get released. In our lifetime, hey. yeah, because because no way Disney's going to be like, well, we don't need that money. It's Song of the South, dirty money. No, no, they'll they'll they, they want the fact that Splash Mountain is around shows that they are okay with yeah, any kind like, of money. Well, hey, as long as we're selling like a few rare rabbit, you know, figures on the side, it's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So if you've seen the film and want to chime in about it, by all means do. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting theaters this weekend. This weekend, uh, the director of Dead Again and uh, and Henry V and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is back with uh, apparently it's a real visual feast, although critics are kind of split on its story merits. Kenneth Branagh's Thor, starring Chris Hemsworth, as well as, as the just Oscar-winning, as well as... Uh, 
your highness co-star uh natalie portman as well as a uh, academy award winner anthony hopkins this is one of the this is like the first big summer movie out of the gate essentially and the first of four comic book movies this summer Yay. so wow all right yeah. also in theaters the movies that you won't be seeing uh something borrowed a cheese ball romantic comedy oh, that with, looks so bad with kate hudson and john krasinski why krasinski's doing these movies and then you gotta eat <laughs> and then one of my favorite actresses slumming it uh, Angela Bassett in uh, Jumping the Broom as well as Paul Patton good cast but another generic generic um, <laughs> movie where it's like two couples it's it's a man and a woman they're both of different races and will they get along in fact this one it's not even about different races it's it's different uh, social classes one is like it's a the guy I think is from the hood and the girl is like from an upper upper class family so it's like a hood family versus <laughs> A wealthy African American family, so wow, yeah, <laughs> all right, cheesy, cheesy, cheesy. So yeah, um, also limited release. This is where get things get interesting. Jodie Foster's The Beaver, starring Mel Gibson and Anton Yelchin, gets released, and also limited release Hobo with a Shotgun, starring Rutger Hauer. So very interesting in the art house scene, which they showed at Starfest. Really? Yeah, apparently it went over great. Like they're like, if you like grindhouse movies, just like the violent stuff, go for it. Um, hmm. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, what's hitting on home video? This is a, a mixed week for sure. Yeah, uh, the Coen Brothers' most successful film to date, uh, True Grit, starring Matt Damon, Jeff Bridges, and gosh, just wonderful actors left and right. I'm sorry, who's in it? Matt Damon. Good job, Dave. <laughs> True Blood, season three. The Lord of the Rings trilogy, the extended version, now available on Blu-ray. Ivan Reitman's return to box office success, although it's still not a good movie. No Strings Attached, starring Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman. Uh, Justin Bieber, Never Say Never, one of the most successful films of the year, by the way. And I've Co- heard it's good. Cost $13 million, made over $90 million worldwide. It's one of the few like real successful money-making movies of the year. Like, actual critics are like being like, oh, okay, I, it, I'm not, I don't have Bieber fever, but it's a good movie. Wow. God, I hope they don't get Bieber. I, can I get? Can I catch that from watching this movie? I hope not. I sincerely no. hope not. This should be like a warning on the back of the DVD. I am number four, one of the biggest flops of the year. Um coming I'm out. still interested to see it. I am. It looked intriguing. Yeah. Nomeo and Juliet, another one of the biggest hits of the year, apparently. I forgot it even came out. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Green Lantern, Emerald Knights, which that is I can't wait for. great right. voice oh. cast all around. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite films of last year. In fact, it did make my top five. Blue Valentine, the searing, powerful, and, and just amazing, amazing, uh, gosh, what do you call it, romantic drama that doesn't even do it justice. Ryan Gosling, Michelle Williams, see it, see it, see it. Um, I saw the devil, which which Dave liked. Yes, <laughs> I did. I did. That's all you have to say about that yeah. movie. <laughs> I talked. I talked uh, pretty in depth about it that week, and then we if I knew it was people. coming out so soon, I wouldn't have seen it in the theater, to be honest. But <laughs> there you go. Two oh, two opposing oh, well. viewpoints. If it's on Netflix, I may see it. If I, I sat through the whole trilogy, the the Vengeance trilogy, I might as well see I, it. I, okay, I so let me ask you a quick question, Ethan. Now you've seen the. Gone through the Vengeance trilogy. Would you say I saw the Devil was a more brutal film than the Vengeance trilogy? Um, in terms of violence, yeah, but I think like in terms of morals and whatnot, it's a little less okay problematic. Okay, I just wanted to give Barry the the the, the important 
comparison. You're warning me, Dave. I appreciate it. You're warning yes. me. Thank <laughs> it's you. It's not the easiest film to I probably won't watch it, but you know. I will let I'm, you borrow you know. um, um, The Man from Nowhere because I think you would genuinely like it. Okay. That yeah, that sounded really good, actually. The reviews yeah. are really good. All right. Also, uh, on Criterion, this is one of my favorite films of the 80s. <laughs> I love this movie. Jonathan Demi's Something Wild, starring a red hot, sexy Melanie Griffith. Jay, uh, Ray Liotta in his film debut, he's sensational. And Jeff Bridges, uh, Jeff Bridges, sorry, Jeff Daniels, who's terrific in this movie. Something wild. Great, great film. I, everybody needs to see if you haven't seen it yet. Um, the Alien trilogy is now available on Blu ray. Quadrilogy. Excuse All four me. films. The yeah. quadrilogy. Yeah. Now, okay, so here's the kicker you can buy them separately for like, you know, 15, 20 bucks a piece, or you can import the full anthology from the UK for like $35. So it's like, uh, and it's the same exact content. It's region free. You can play it in the U.S. Amazon UK. They got a screaming deal on it right now. Very nice. And my favorite film from the 2010. I think it was 2010 or 2000, no, 2009. 2009. My favorite two, uh, 2009 film from the Denver Film Festival, Cropsy. The uh, the that was a chilling, messed up movie. Blood chilling documentary now available on uh, on DVD. Yeah, it was on Netflix before. I'm thinking I'm going to save my crap title. Till next week's episode. Oh, no. Come on. Let's do no. your day. Okay. Don't leave All us right, waiting. Because we have Kenneth Branagh's Thor coming out. That means that the Asylum's at work again. The Asylum Home Entertainment brings you the almighty Thor featuring the acting greatness mm-hmm. of Kevin Nash and Richard Grieco. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes me so happy to say that because... Richard Grieco. Oh, yeah. Love me some Grieco. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, we do have a little bit of mail to do this week. Um, I've got a couple messages I still need to track down, too. But uh, from Craig, we do have the. <laughs> this is calling me out, but I need it. So um, I was trying to listen to a few of your older podcasts, but they don't seem to be back up on your website. I tried iTunes, but they only go back to 100. Just wondering if they're available and if so, where I could listen to them. Thanks, Craig. Um, Craig, I they are absolutely online. I just need to get the links working, so I'm going to start working through those again this week. With the, pro, with the website rebuild, it kind of fell by the wayside. So I will endeavor to get those back up and running. I'll probably start with the film snobs, and I'll probably start from the beginning just to get this episode, our, our previous discussion on this, back up and running. It'd be fun to listen to the old Song of the South episode versus what we did today. Absolutely, yes. And then we have a very special voicemail this week. Um, um, it, it, in the tradition of other film directors who have called us, we've got someone very special calling us this week. Well, hi, David. Hi, Barry. Oh, really had a good time at Starfest this year. It was a great idea. I'm really glad you enjoyed my movie. But I heard all the awful things that Chris Martin said about me. How could he say these things? They're not true, I tell you. Anyway, how's your sex life? Okay, that's about all. I, I, I'm going to go toss the football with Danny. Okay, bye. I have no idea that was. I mean, obviously it was Tommy Wiseau talking about our, our love of the Tommy room. Obviously Tommy Wiseau. Yes, <laughs> totally. You know, Dave, we've really gone places when Tommy Wiseau calls us. I mean, it leaves us a voice. I mean, now. you know, like we've interviewed, you know, Nichelle Nichols and Lloyd Kaufman, but that could be this could be a milestone for Screen Geeks. <laughs> Almost as good as when Eli Roth called or, or Michael Bay called from that other when we were over at the other site. That's right. Yes, yes. I'll have to see if I. I think I've still got those somewhere. I hope so. <laughs> I think I've got the voicemail somewhere separately. Yeah. But but, thank you, Mr. Wiseau. Uh, it doesn't make me appreciate your filmmaking uh, or lack thereof uh, anymore. But uh, but thank you. I really appreciate you calling. Oh, seriously. If you ever see Ron, we will. I will do it. We will do a showing of the room here at some point. Because cool. have we done a room episode? I don't think we have. I think we oh, just kind of talked about it. That's lot. ridiculous. Do we, we really need to do one? Are you up for yeah. doing one, Ethan? I think we've talked about it enough, to be honest. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, okay. We, we've talked about it at pretty <laughs> significant length. 
Um, hang on here just one sec. Let me see if I can get a hold of this. Because if you want to call us, you can. You can call us at 719-387-1804. Leave us a voicemail. We will get it and play it on the air. I know I've got another one somewhere I need to play. I will find it. We will play it next week. If you want to email us, by all means do. You can email us at podcastberrydave or ethan all at screengeeks.com. Ethan, do you want to uh, spoil what we're talking about next week? Bruck. The Bruck. Barry's going to be gone, so we're talking about the films of Jerry Bruckheimer. Um <laughs> Which should be very interesting. You poor, poor, poor so-and-sos. Hey, you know, we, we, we did the Tom Green episode, too. So, you know, it's while you're gone that we do the really experimental episode. <laughs> uh, one last thing I want to bring up. I know that we've talked about Rambach coming up, uh, that AMC's going to be releasing it in various theaters around the country. Um, I'm very excited to say that we'll be putting up a contest later this week where you can uh, shoot in a text message and enter to actually win passes to go catch it. Uh, I will have a post on the Facebook page, on the Twitter page, and we'll have a full post about what cities it's available in and everything a little bit later this week, probably by Tuesday. And uh, by all means, if you get a chance to get this movie, whether you win tickets or not, I think it's well worth checking out in the theater. Would you agree? Yes. This is uh, our favorite film that we saw at last year's Mile High Horror Fest, and it's, it's wonderful. It really needs to be seen. It's Absolutely. a great film. Uh, before we go, I have one more thing to say. I'm so Do sorry. You? I forgot to mention it earlier, but <gasps> I, I kept forgetting. No, this is this is amazing. Um, this does bear just brief commentary on. Uh, did you guys hear what 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 our what the president of the United States said last night? No. About about the Trump. Uh, about Mr. Damon. About Matt. No. Damon. no. Yeah, whoa, this was whoa, amazing. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, this is great because like you know this is the kind of thing you expect from Roger Ebert, but not from the president of the United States of America. Yeah, at at uh, at this dinner, you know, and now everybody's talking about how you know President Obama gave gave. Donald Trump a tongue lashing because you know he's oh this is the, the correspondence dinner right, right? correspondence okay. well not only did he call out Trump he called out Matt Damon because Damon and this I'll just quote Obama I can remember what he said he's like you know Matt Damon has expressed disappointment in my performance well Matt Damon I saw you in the adjustment bureau and I can say right back at you wow <laughs> dang you expect that from Roger Ebert or yeah. Jim Shallot but not you know the that's president like, of the free world yeah that's like when, when, when Ebert was talking about Rob Schneider people saying well you haven't made a movie so you can't say my movie's bad and then he was like I've made a movie your movie sucks but like this is <laughs> this is oh this is the president wow. of the United States of America yeah like, I don't think there's well, to be, fair, the adjust, well, be fair the adjustment bureau wasn't very good and you know, so, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with the president. I just think it's amazing that he said that. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's that, a, that belongs on the back of the DVD I box. Think I, right? I think I, I think I would have preferred if he said that for hereafter. But <laughs> oh, there it is. We, we we can't leave the jab at Matt Damon. All right. Um, I think we're gonna end this now before I end up breaking the butt trying to break the button again. But yeah, next week we're talking about the Brux films. It'll be a good time. We might even get a guest or two. Who knows? But until then, this is Dave. This is Barry. This is Ian. This is Ron. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>